Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, March 3rd. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Disinflation is transitory. You know, it didn't even last as long as I expected. Every price inflation measure was up in January and up more than expected. CPI, consumer prices, hotter than expected. PPI, producer prices, hotter than expected. PCE, the Fed's favorite inflation measure, hotter than expected. So it's pretty clear that the Fed hasn't beat price inflation. The genie is not back in the bottle. Now, we may see those numbers cool again in February, March, maybe even April. And if you're a glass half full kind of person, you could argue that despite the price inflation reboot we saw in January, the general trend is still downward. And I think that's how a lot of people are looking at it. I think most people generally believe that the Federal Reserve has this under control. Sure, it may take a little extra rate hike or two, maybe take a little bit more time, but most people, I think, are confident that the Fed's got this. They'll get inflation back to 2%, and then we can go back to the easy money regime we had between 2008 and 2021. And I think they're dead wrong. If you've been listening to Peter Schiff's podcast or recent interviews, he's been talking about the fact that the decade of sub-2% CPI after the financial crisis was actually the anomaly. In fact, there have only been 11 years since 1970 when inflation was at or below 2%, and eight of those years were after the financial crisis. You know, we talk about Paul Volcker slaying inflation in the 1980s with his 20% interest rates, but the CPI didn't just go down in a few months. It wasn't just a year. It was like 1986 before inflation actually went back to 2%, and it didn't stay there. I'm going to link to Peter's podcast in the show notes, and you can get the details of all of this history. I'm just bringing it up to emphasize that getting price inflation under control, once it's out of control, isn't easy. You know, you don't just snap your fingers and yell, inflation be gone. I mean, you can do that, but inflation isn't going to be gone. It's like ordering a cat around, right? You can't expect the Fed to do a few rate hikes and for everything to be okay. And I think that's kind of the mindset. That's how Jerome Powell acts, you know. Yeah, we've got this, you know, no big deal. No panic, nothing to worry about. <sighs> I think there's something to worry about here. Now, I've been saying for quite a while that I don't think the Fed is going to win this inflation fight because the monetary tightening it is doing is going to tank the economy, and the central bank will ultimately pivot to rescue said economy. Inflation be damned. I mean, if it's got to pick a poison, history tells me that the Fed will pick inflation over an economic or financial crisis. Now, I could be wrong. This batch of central bankers could be fundamentally different from the prior batch of central bankers, but I don't don't think so. I'm going to stick with my gut and with history here. The ugly truth is inflation money printing, credit, and debt. That's the bedrock of this economy. Without the easy money, the house of cards collapses. And I think that's coming sooner or later.
In fact, there was more data this week that points to the crash happening sooner rather than later. ISM manufacturing PMI was at 47.7 in February. A reading below 50 means manufacturing is contracting. It was the fourth straight month of contraction. And consumer sentiment went into the crapper again last month. The Conference Board Consumer Confidence Index fell for the second straight month in February, dropping from a downwardly revised 106.0 in January to 102.9. The projection was for consumer confidence to actually tick up to 108.5. So, you know, the bottom line here is that consumers aren't buying uh, all this jovial talk about a great economy. The expectations index, which is based on consumers' short-term outlook for income, business, and labor market conditions, fell to 69.7 from a downwardly revised 76 in January. It was the lowest reading since July of 2022. Now, according to the conference board, an expectation index below 80, quote, often signals a recession within the next year. Get this, that index has been below 80 for 11 of the last 12 months. So again, consumers aren't buying the glib, happy, ooh, the economy's doing great narrative. Yeah, they're spending a lot of money because they're having to pay more for everything, so retail sales are boosted. And they're still able to borrow. They're still running up those credit cards. Uh, and the labor market looks good. And if you look at the consumer um, the, the consumer sentiment, you'll see that they're still pretty optimistic about the labor market. But all in all, they're not optimistic about what lies ahead. And, you know, even if the economy manages to limp along for a while with these high interest rates and the declining money supply, I still don't think we're going to see price inflation ease substantially. So today I thought I would outline three broad reasons why I don't think the Fed can whip inflation. Now, first, there's the sheer amount of inflation the government and the Fed have created. I'm not talking about price increases as measured by the CPI. I'm talking about the amount of money created. That's the actual definition of inflation, an increase in the money supply. It's staggering, and it's the root cause of price inflation that we see reflected in CPI. Now, I should be clear and say that there are a lot of reasons that prices rise. I mean, you can have supply shocks, you can have shortages, uh, you can have supply chain disruptions due to wars. Uh, that can cause prices to rise. Weather events can cause some prices to rise. Uh, people may suddenly want a certain product, so demand increases. That will cause prices to rise. But when we're talking about a general rise in prices across the entire economy, that's caused by more money chasing the same amount of goods and services, or in the case of the COVID era, actually chasing fewer goods and services. When you have more dollars chasing the same amount of stuff, when people have more dollars to buy the same amount of stuff, the price of the stuff rises. They're bidding up the price with these extra dollars. And that's exactly what we're seeing in the economy today. I saw this bit of news yesterday. U.S. home prices are not only are now only forecast to decline modestly this year and by less than previously thought. Why? Because demand has declined only slightly, despite expectations that interest rates have further to rise. 
Now, this doesn't really make sense. The conventional formula is that you can expect home prices to decrease by about 2% for every 1% increase in mortgage rates. Mortgage rates have gone up, what, 4 or 5% in the last year, so you would expect home prices to have increased 8 to 10%. So how is it that people are still bidding up prices in the housing market? How is it that prices are holding steady and in some markets even increasing? Because there are trillions of new dollars sloshing around in the economy. These dollars got to go somewhere, right? Now, we can talk about tight inventory and other market dynamics. Certainly, those are factors. But at the root, beneath those market dynamics, we have inflation. More money in the economy propping up prices of homes and everything else. Looking at the Fed balance sheet over the last two decades will give you a clue as to just how much money the Fed has created and injected into the economy. In 2007 and most of 2008, the balance sheet fluctuated between $850 and $900 billion. That's billion with a B. After three rounds of quantitative easing, the balance sheet peaked at a little over $4.5 trillion in 2015. That's trillion with a T. Then we had a little balance sheet reduction in 2018. You'll remember that. Balance sheet reduction was on autopilot. And then the stock market went into the crapper and they quickly abandoned uh, autopilot and went back to uh, increasing the balance sheet. But during that slight tightening, the balance sheet got down to a little less than $3.8 trillion. I will remind you at this point that Ben Bernanke swore when he started QE that the Fed was not monetizing the debt. It was a temporary emergency measure, and the central bank would quickly sell off all of those bonds and soak that liquidity back up. And in reality, it didn't even shed $1 trillion from the nearly $4 trillion that it added. Then the Fed put QE on steroids during COVID, and the balance sheet ran up to just a tad shy of $9 trillion. So in just over a decade, the Fed balance sheet increased by over $8 trillion. That doesn't include all of the money injected into the economy through credit incentivized by more than a decade of artificially low interest rates. Remember, inflation is an expansion of the money supply and available credit. So all of that money, those trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars, are all out there sloshing around in the economy. If you want to slay price inflation, you've got to get at least some of that money back out of the economy. The Fed needs to soak up a good bit of that liquidity that it injected. Otherwise, prices are going to have to rise to adjust to this much bigger money supply equilibrium. The Fed can't even do its tepid balance sheet reduction plan right. It has missed its target eight out of the last nine months. And even if it hit the target, it would take over seven years to bring the balance sheet back to pre-pandemic levels. That's not even getting into the money created after the financial crisis. The bottom line is the Fed isn't going to end price inflation with 5% interest rates and a seven-year balance sheet reduction plan it's never going to even see through. It would need to be much more aggressive to bring CPI to 2%, and it won't do it. But even this half-assed war on inflation is enough to wreck the economy, an economy that's built on easy money and debt, a bubble economy that was created by this very policy. So you're taking away the policy. You have to expect the bubbles to pop. And as I've already said at that point, 
the Fed will just surrender. So that's the first reason I don't see any path to victory in this inflation fight. The second reason the Fed can't get CPI back to 2% is interest rates aren't high enough. We still have negative real interest rates. I mean, they've gotten them closer to neutral, but they aren't there yet. Think about it. CPI is 6.4%. The Fed funds rate is between 45 and 4.75%. That's a negative real rate of over 1.5%. Negative real rates mean we really still have accommodative monetary policy. So, in effect, they're still dripping gasoline on the inflation fire. They've just gone from you know, spraying it with a hose to drip, drip, drip. But it's still gasoline on the inflation fire. And don't forget, CPI understates price inflation. The real CPI is probably double what the government reports. That means you really need interest rates in the 12% range, real interest rates in the 12% range. That ain't happening. The fact that people are still borrowing money hand over fist is an indication that rates aren't high enough to really tamp down price inflation. Remember, credit expansion is inflationary. Household debt just charted its biggest rise in 20 years in Q4 of 2022. The Fed needs to get rates high enough to stop the borrowing spending spree that consumers are on. Again, that's not happening, not without crashing the bubble economy. Borrowing and spending by consumers makes this economy run. So you can see that the Fed is really between a rock and a hard place here. Now, the third reason the Fed ain't winning this inflation fight is the federal government won't stop spending money. We have an extremely expansionary fiscal policy. The U.S. government is spending about half a trillion dollars every freaking month. Of course, the government has to borrow to do that, and its borrowing costs are going through the roof. That's not sustainable. We've talked before about how the interest on the debt could quickly become the third biggest expenditure in the federal budget. I mean, it just can't do that and maintain the borrowing and spending that it's doing. And ultimately, as I've talked about before, the Fed is going to have to get back into the debt monetization game. That means it's buying treasuries, not letting them fall off the balance sheet. In effect, the federal government needs quantitative easing to keep the bond market stable so that it can continue to sell bonds and borrow the trillions of dollars it needs to feed its budget deficits and its national debt. Now, keep in mind, the Fed has conceded in a paper that it can't tame inflation with it with monetary policy alone. The paper admits what I've been saying for months. Government spending is a big problem for the Fed. Powell and company continue to insist that they will stay in this inflation fight until the end, but Uncle Sam depends on the Fed buying treasury bonds, as I just said, in order to facilitate its borrowing addiction. As the central bank buys bonds, it creates artificial demand in the bond market. It holds interest rates down. The government needs low interest rates when it's borrowing trillions of dollars. Without the Fed's big fat thumb on the bond market, treasury prices will continue to to sink as supply outstrips demand and interest rates will rise. Well, right now, with the Fed being in the inflation fight, its big fat thumb is not on the bond market. That can't last for very long. I mean, who's going to buy all of these treasuries right now? Right now, we have a little bit of a reprieve because we have the the uh, fake debt ceiling fight. And right now, the Fed's not selling treasuries at all because it's up against its borrowing limit. But once 
they raised the debt ceiling, and they will raise the debt ceiling. Uh, I think they're saying sometime in June and July is kind of the drop-dead date. When that happens, the Fed is going to have to borrow a whole bunch of money really fast. At that point, I think we're going to see a major shakeup in the bond market if the Fed has not gone back to QE. Now, on the other side of the coin, U.S. government fiscal policy feeds inflation. It's spending. And the central bank needs the federal government to quit borrowing and spending so much money in order to bring inflation back down to 2%, price inflation. That's not happening. Instead of reducing government spending and adopting a contractionary fiscal policy to help bring down inflation, the Biden administration is running bigger and bigger deficits. Now, Biden's lying about it and he's saying, oh, we're shrinking the budget deficits because he's comparing them to the ones that were run, you know, during the peak of COVID. Uh, But when you look at the overall trajectory of the deficit, uh, he's running deficits now higher than Trump was. And Trump was running some pretty hefty deficits deficits of his own, even before COVID. Um, So, you know, in a nutshell, this is expansionary fiscal policy Biden, uh, the Biden administration is running, and that is adding kerosene to the inflation fire. So to kind of sum up, to believe the Fed is really going to tame inflation, you have to believe these three things. One, that the Fed is going to substantially shrink its balance sheet to the tune of trillions of dollars. Number two, that it's going to successfully raise interest rates to at least 12% given an honest CPI. And three, the U.S. government is going to radically rein in deficit spending. So let me ask you this. Do you believe any of those things are going to happen? I don't even believe one of those things will happen, much less all three. And that, my friends, is why I say the inflation fight is a big fat farce. Before I wrap up the show, I want to quickly call your attention to an article our analyst Tony published about a week and a half ago. Uh, It was his monthly technical analysis looking at some of the technical factors in the gold and silver market. And he noted that over the last several months, the technicals have been spot on in predicting the moves in gold and silver. November showed the market was in neutral. But then the December analysis correctly identified an impending move upward, which we saw. And the January review concluded that gold may need a breather before moving higher. So what are the technicals telling us for this month? Well, both gold and silver saw pretty healthy corrections and they have taken a breather. The current data suggests that the market may be back in neutral until a compelling catalyst can push the momentum one way or the other. Tony called it a healthy correction if gold can hold $1,800 an ounce. So far, so good. We're above $1,800, despite anxiety about the Fed tightening more than originally anticipated. Uh, I'll link to that analysis on the show notes page, and you can check out the details of what he's talking about. But, you know, given where we are, given the fact that we have had this correction, might be a good time to add gold or silver, or both uh, to your portfolio or add to your positions uh, with the price being a little bit lower. If you're interested in doing that or just talking about it, I highly recommend calling a Shift Gold Precious Metals specialist. You can do that today. Call 1-888-GOLD-160. Or if you don't want to talk on the phone, you can email them info at shiftgold.com. Or you can just go to shiftgold.com and then click on the Getting Started tab, and you can actually chat 
online with a precious metal specialist right there. I say this every week. These guys are fantastic. They will look at your por portfolio, your investment goals, uh, just your entire situation and help you figure out how and even if precious metals will fit into your investment strategy. So give them a call and talk to them today. And with that, we're going to call that a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more. And of course, keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com slash news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap over at Apple Podcasts, the Shift Gold YouTube channel, the Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Links to all of that stuff is on the show notes page. You are welcome to send me an email, mmahary, M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shiftgold.com. I'd uh, love to hear from folks. And I think that's it. I hope everybody has a fantastic weekend. And I'll be back to talk to you guys next week. 